0: Doctrine and doxology. Romans eleven, thirty-three to thirty-six. These two go hand in hand. And what I want you to see as Paul reaches the end of this chapter, it is like there is in him, as the spirit leads, there is this overflow of just rejoicing and worship that pours out of his soul. Listen to these verses that, that the Apostle Paul writes as he closes Romans eleven. amen think of this i mean paul just explodes with this pen as he writes these words i think of what uh garrett dawson said in in connection with these verses he says listen the knowledge of god and the praise of god that is theology that's largely what we've been doing over the past number of weeks understanding the teaching of god who is he how does he work who are we what do we need what is salvation how does god bring it What does it mean? All of this theology is meant to set us singing. To set us in doxology. Our worship, at the same time, is also meant to take us deeper. That's why we care so much about the words of our songs. There's a lot of songs that are emotional out there. Some of them on the radio. Some of them are not true. (laughs) Right? Like reckless love. Are you kidding me? Is that true of God? Is he reckless in anything ever? No. Answer, no, it's not. Change that word to sovereign. Sovereign love. Then sing that song and it works. It's amazing. (laughs) Our worship is meant to take us deeper into the glorious truth of our Redeemer's work. So you have to have both. You want your theology to inform Your doxology, your singing, your worship, and your singing and worship should take you deeper into the glorious truths of who God is and what He's done. These are dance partners in the fulfillment of our chief end. What is our chief end? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It's why we exist. That is our primary mission in this world and the next. And so let's dive into these verses. The first, uh, you'll notice last week we covered 32 verses. This week, four verses, but slowly, okay? This is, sometimes it happens that way. Okay, here we go. So verse 33a, discover, delight, and declare. Discover, delight, and declare. Look at this, look at this call of Paul. Oh, the depth. And I, I just have to stop you on the very first word here. This is not some just wasted ink in your Bible. Don't ever just jump past the O. A number of years ago, I did an entire sermon on that word, O. It was ca- called A Theology of O. And we looked through our Bibles, and we actually looked at all the songs we sing that have that word in it. It matters. It's a Bible word. O. Let's say it together on three. One, two, three. O. Oh. Yes it's that it's not the depth it's oh, the depth look at it look at it oh what is this word friends this is audible awe audible awe that's what this is it's filled throughout our songs. It's, sometimes it has an H on it. Sometimes it's just the letter O. But it's always in connection with the revelation of God's glory. And it takes our breath away. We are floored and amazed and, and blown back by His presence and His glory. Listen to the psalmist. There are so many. I just picked two. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? he's good that's how good he is his steadfast love endures forever oh sing congregation sing to the lord a new song why a new song because he's worthy of constant penmanship of observation and declaration of his glory constant it'll never end for he has done marvelous things so we we observe him We see Him. We we discover Him. And we delight in what we see. And then comes the oh. The declaration of it. The expression of it. We're a singing people. God's design is that we be a singing people. For all eternity, we will be a singing people. Listen to what he says. Oh, the depth. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. So here's what he's doing. Paul is having a moment like a mountain climber who has climbed to the top of a peak. Think of this, what it would be like to be Paul. He's writing under inspiration of of the Holy Spirit. Some of the most complex and mind-bending theologies in the entire Bible, and he finishes that section. It's like he turns and he looks across this vast expanse of glory and truth. And he can't help but say, oh, the depth! Look at that! I had this experience at the Grand Canyon. Who's been to the Grand Canyon? Have you been there? Okay, good, good. It's one of my favorite places on earth. I mean, it's up there in the top five for sure. I got to go as a young man and I always wanted to go with my family a few years ago we got a chance to go there together and just let the vastness of that glory of God take our breath away here's one of the experiences you have after about the first day where I was paralyzed by fear because it is so far down you know if you slip you're dead it's not, it's, it's, there's no question. And then the park ranger really helped me out. He's like, yeah, you know, we usually have about one person a day dies at the Grand Canyon. <laughs> That's what he tells us. And all of a sudden, I'm like, kids, get back. Come on. <laughs> like, maybe we should have some more guardrails. I'm just saying. Like, and then you look around and you see these people with their cameras. Hey. <laughs> oh, man. But you stand out there on a point like that, and I'm telling you, both sides drop straight off, sheer cliff, thousands of feet down. Here's what happens, though. You can't see the bottom. Most of the time, you can't see the bottom. It just keeps going. And there'll be, you see how these, these cliffs go. You think you see the bottom, and then drop. It goes again farther. You stand there, and you say, oh, the depth. Look at that canyon. It's not just deep. It's magnificent. And it's constantly changing as the light moves and, and, the, and the weather changes. All kinds of color and beauty. and It's like that here. Paul is standing over the grand canyon of God's glory that he has pinned thus far. Oh, look at the riches of God. Look at His riches. The riches of His kindness to us in Christ. Look at the salvation. How He has given us this wealth of Himself in Jesus Christ. Look at His wisdom. Who could have ever conceived of a salvation plan like this but God, the all-wise One. Look at His knowledge. Look Look at how vast it is. He is in awe in wonder. So, friends, the work of Paul is our work as well. This is kind of the the job description of the Christian life. It's one of the reasons we gather together and sing. It's why music is such a big deal. Our occupation as believers, and by the way, forever so, is to discover God, to delight in what we see. That's not hard to do. (laughs) It's natural. When you see him, you love it. You will love what you see, and then declare it. Declare it. Sing it. You see You savor. You sing. Or, I had to find a third L word. You learn. You love. And then there's this word, laud. I never use that word. It reminds me of Crisco for some reason. (laughs) That's different though, right? Lard. That's lard. This is laud. It means extol. To praise, right? But you learn. You love what you learn about Him. And then you laud Him. You laud him. Both for one another, right? When we sing, we bless each other. Just know this. It doesn't matter if you're on key. It doesn't. Sing it out. Let it rip. We bless one another when from the depths of our soul, we let it rip. We declare his praise in the congregation and to the ends of the earth. It is both an expression that builds and edifies the church and evangelizes the lost. We sing. C.S. Lewis in Reflections on the Psalms said it this way, our delight is incomplete until it's expressed. Think about this. Our delight is not complete. Our joy is not full and realized until we speak of it, we sing of it, we express it. To fully enjoy is to glorify. It's what we've been wired by God to do. It's in us to do this. And then he says, and I, I love this, he says, in commanding us to glorify Him, God is inviting us to enjoy Him. So don't think that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever as if somehow those are separate things. When you enjoy God, you glorify Him. And when you glorify Him, your enjoyment grows of Him. So I like to change the and to a by. Our chief end is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. That's how we do it. We enjoy Him. And then we sing it out. Now, verse 33b, God is incomprehensible. If you're looking for a word with all kinds of uh, syllables, this is a good one, kids. You can always beat your friends with this word, okay? Well, I thought of onomatopoeia. I can beat that. with Incomprehensibility. That's huge, okay? You win. <laughs> Theology is fun. God is incomprehensible. Verse 33b. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. This is Paul speaking. Let's just be clear. Paul is regarded as the fifth, wisest, smartest, most intellectual person who's ever walked the face of the earth. That's by secular assessment, okay? He was a very sharp guy. In fact, if we put all of our brain power together, I don't think we would measure up. Paul not only was a smart dude, he was unbelievably trained in Scripture, Gamaliel was his, his teacher, his rabbi, as it were, and he trained under... He, he had the whole Old Testament memorized, friends. He knows what it means to, to, to draw from the wealth of Scripture, which is why when you read Romans 11, you're just in awe of him quoting the Old Testament. It's like he can't help it. It's, verses are just coming out from Scripture. And he says this at the end of Romans Romans 11. After finishing Romans 11, this is his assessment under inspiration. It's right and true. It's true for all of us. You can't search out his judgments. You you, you can't fully understand all the ways of God. They're inscrutable. They're beyond our ability to track or trace. The the, the wording here speaks of like a tracker would trace an animal through the snow. You track him. You can't track God. You you certainly can't predict how he's going to work. Especially this is in view to his sovereign salvation that we've been focusing on in 9, 10, and 11. God's sovereign decrees and ways, they are unfathomable. They are untraceable. Listen to Isaiah 55, which I believe he's, he's drawing from in this quote. God says through the prophet, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We have to remind ourselves of this in humility, friends. We will never fully understand God. We we, we can't understand Come at God as if somehow we're going to be like, okay, I got you figured out. Now you fit in my box. Let me put the lid on and tie a bow and put you where I can make sense of everything. No, you, you can't do that. And what's amazing is you never, you never will be able to do that. God is infinite. We are finite. He is creator. We are the created. So when we... Struggle to conceive of his authoritative revelation. What will we do? How will we respond? And friends, I'm so proud of you. I I, got to tell you this. I'm proud of God's work in you. We have made it through the deep end of the pool. Like this is the hardest part of theology. And you are here and you are leaning into the word of God. And yes, there are questions that linger. Are there not? Do we not have questions? I have a ton of questions still. Some of these questions will never be answered in this life. Some of them we will look forever to see more clearly. And I think we will understand more someday, but never fully. Will we protest or praise like Paul? Will we grumble or will we glorify? That's at the end of the day really the question, isn't it? You can't conquer God. You can't pin Him down. He refuses to fit our mold. We often think of Him in terms of of our image rather than understand that we are made in His image. The call is to praise Him. Embrace the mystery of His excellence and and marvel in His infinitude. He is bigger than our brains could ever conceive. So let's do this now. God is all-knowing. I want to show you what is fascinating about this kind of song, this doxology that Paul breaks into in eloquent fashion, just as we would expect from Paul. He presents this, this song, this poetry in a, a chiastic structure, okay? So it's basically like holding up a mirror. He'll say something and then he'll hold a mirror to it and in reverse order, build it out. Note this now. The riches of God in verse... 33 was the first thing he mentioned, right? Oh, the depth of the riches. And look at how it goes up now. And the wisdom and the knowledge of God. So all three of these are first mentioned. Now he asks uh, three rhetorical questions that are all answered with no one. That's the answer to all these questions. But look at how he builds the questions out. He starts with knowledge. And he says, question one, who has known the mind of the Lord? You see what he's doing here? That's the structure of this poetry. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Answer? No one. You got it. Good. No one has known the mind of the Lord. Not even the Apostle Paul who writes under inspiration. He doesn't understand the fullness of the mind of the Lord. God is all-knowing. This is speaking to the omniscience of God. We have words like this. Man, I... I forgot. I forgot. I can't recall. And the older you get, get, get ready, young people. It's coming. It's coming. I had a moment this week where there was like four exchanges in a row where I'm sitting there with Jenny. I'm like, hey, what was so-and-so's name? What was that? How did that go? Four <laughs> questions in a row. By the fourth one, she's like, Jer, you all right? I was like... <laughs> We having some early onset, you know, Alzheimer's here. What's the deal? These are our words. Oh man, I overlooked that. I'm so sorry. I forgot we had an appointment. Hold on, just give me a sec. I need to think. You know what? I just need some time to process. I need to. I need. I need to process. Let me give you an estimate on that. Eh, Roughly, I don't know, something about like this. Let me ponder that a little. Let me contemplate. I need some time. To understand this. I, I, I need to learn more about that. I, I'm really struggling here to understand. I need to discover. Um, I'm working on a conclusion. You see what we're doing? You see, this is our normal. It's what it means to be in the place of created. Well, I, I guessed at it. Dutch, you know, gave my best shot. Here's words. Unsure. Uncertain. Unclear unknown, they keep going. We know limitations, don't we? God has never, let's be clear, nothing of those words that you see has He ever, ever experienced. Not once, ever. He has never learned, ever. He has never needed time to process. He's never guessed at anything. He is not reckless. He doesn't forget he doesn't overlook he doesn't have to stop and think he never concludes because that assumes process and time passing requirements of time are not ever of god so god is all knowing in this god fully knows himself do you know yourself Do you really fully know yourself? Friends, we don't, do we? We don't. We we should, but we don't. God fully knows His infinite self. He also knows all things actual and possible. This will bend your mind. God not only knows all things actual because He's ordained them all, He knows all possible realities. Okay? Okay. Now, this is like some kind of sci-fi stuff going on. Some uh, What's that weird Marvel thing? The parallel universe stuff, all that. God knows potential infinitely. And He chooses to bring about to ordain actual. Okay, that's the fun one. I remember just being blown away when I was learning this in seminary. He knows actual and possible. How does He know it? He knows it instantaneously, simultaneously, and eternally. Wow. He never has to stop and reach to realize. He knows it right here, always, eternally. That's amazing. It's amazing. This is our infinite God. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10, as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man even imagined. What God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. And then He goes on to say, listen, the Holy Spirit searches everything. Even the depths of God. God fully knows Himself. No one knows God but God knows God. That's an amazing verse. We can know God truly, but we will never know God exhaustively. This is important to know this, okay? That some people say, well, what's the point? Why do we even study the Bible? If we can't really understand who He is, why would, he, why would we try? Well, the, the point is, is that God has given us self-disclosure. He's revealed who He is. At least sufficiently so for us for life and godliness we have everything we need to know about him it's in these pages my friends the holy spirit is in us to move us to know truly but we will never not in this life nor the next we will never know him exhaustively and so the occupation of eternity is this this is why heaven will not be boring let's just dispel that notion Our forever occupation will be to bask in the glory, uninterrupted glory, like no barrier, face to face glory of God and discover him. One day of eternity will pass and we will have our minds blown with his glory and we will delight in him and we will declare our praise. And then another day in eternity, more, still more, still more forever. He's that big. I'm going to show you at the end of the sermon the reaches of the universe that we have just begun to scratch and, and just want to point you now to the reality God is way bigger than we ever, ever imagined. He's big enough that we will spend forever discovering and delighting and declaring His glory. God is all wise. God is all wise. Verse 32b. Who has been his counselor? Answer, no one. No one. Who has been his counselor? Does God need counsel? Is God ever up there saying, Oh man, I, uh, I thought this would work better than it seems to be working? I don't know, man. It's... What do you think, guys? What should I do? I need to a, need a bounce a few ideas off you guys, take some counsel. Now, that's wise for us, isn't it? That's part of what wisdom means for us. But God is not ever in a situation where he is needing outside counsel from anybody. No angel, no human. He quotes here from Isaiah 40. We're going to be studying this on Wednesday. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? What man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? Who made God understand? Who taught him the path of justice? Oh, we've got some justice warriors these days that would think that they need to teach God about what justice is. I would say, be silent. Let the God who is just inform what we call justice. Who taught God knowledge and showed Him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and God regards them as dust on the scales. Does that mean He doesn't care? That's not what He's saying. He's saying you take the collective wisdom of every person on the earth and guess what it adds up to? Dust on a scale. That's how wise He is. That's what it means to have a God of all wisdom. God's wisdom sees everything in focus, each in proper relation to all, and is thus able to work toward predestined goals with flawless precision. That's our God. A.W. Tozer. Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. God ordains what is the best end, and He ordains what is the best path to achieve it. And then He goes and He does it. The all wise God. We have to have a note here for ourselves when we pray. Let's just be clear. We are never in a position to counsel God. May we never, ever give inclination or words to this impulse. It's sinful. It's arrogant. It's wrong. God, I feel like I need to kind of tell you here how I think you should work. Is that what we do in prayer? Oh, friends, let us steer clear. I was around some people at one point that thought they could command God. And I'm telling you what, I wanted to get out of that room as fast as I could. I was waiting for lightning bolts to come through and knock them dead. (laughs) Who are we to ever think that we could command the God of the universe? That we can even come to Him should blow us away in humility. Now, we come boldly, but we come desperate and needy, requesting, only requesting and worshiping. Your will be done. Your will be done. We never counsel God. He never is lacking wisdom. Now, He gives freely to those who need it. James, remember? And so we ask Him for it. He is the giver of wisdom, never the receiver of it. From outside of himself. He has infinite knowledge. He has infinite wisdom. And this isn't in our text today, but I have to say it, if God knew everything and he had all wisdom to, to, how to how to put it to work, but he didn't have the power to implement it, he would be inept. That is not who our God is. He is omnipotent. He has power. All power. Infinitely so. He is never unable to do what he has purposed and planned to do. Never. Never bound is our God in the slightest. Now, verse 35, God is self-existent and self-sufficient. This is, this is one of my favorite parts of, of theology is the attributes of God. Who is He? What's He like? Listen to how His self-existence and self-sufficiency show up in verse 35. This is an answer or connection to the, the riches of God. Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Has anyone ever made God their debtor? Has God ever been in a situation where he was like, man, I just really need a little help here. I'm lacking resources. I I really need you guys to to really step up and tithe. Because I don't have enough. And if you don't give, I don't know what to do. If you ever give monetarily or of service or time or talent to God in that way, it is offensive to Him. We give because He invites us to participate, not because He needs. He doesn't need a thing. We never put Him in our debt. Never. One of the most clear statements of God's self-existence and self-sufficiency is his response to Moses when Moses says, "Who should I tell uh, the people sent me to them?" And God says, "This is what you are to tell them. I am who I am. Tell them I am sent me sent, sent you to them." <laughs> what does this mean? God in his simplest expression of who he is says, "I exist." What more needs to be said? I am who I am. Wow. No one created God. He is the God of all of creation. The distance between created and creator is impassable. No one could ever bridge that gap. No angel could ever ever come close to the glory of the Creator. Lucifer thought he could ascend to the heaven to take the glory of God. He is still learning that lesson, is he not? He will forever learn. Oh, you puny little created Lucifer. One of the great sins of humanity is pride. It's the echo of Satan's heart I want that glory for me. I want the glory that is God's alone and I want to take it. And I want to hold it and keep it. and Bottle it up. God is self-existent. You never give to God and make Him your debtor. This is the truth. A.W. Tozer said, God is not greater for our existence, for our being. Okay? (laughs) Let's be clear. Nor would He be less if we did not exist. That we do exist is altogether of God's free determination, not by divine necessity. My uncle tells the story of growing up in, in, in a Baptist church in Spokane where the, the, the Sunday school teacher uh, was teaching a bunch of young boys. My uncle was there, and, and, and one of the boys asked the question, why did God make us? Why, why are we here? Why do we exist? And the well-meaning t- Sunday school teacher said this, well, honey, you know, God was lonely. my uncle though he was really young perked up like wait what (laughs) he just needed company he was so alone and he just loves having people around to keep him company and he's got stuff to do now (laughs) kids you know that's not true right you know that's not true why was god not lonely father Son, Spirit, eternal, joyful, blissful relationship within the Trinity. Every echo of community points to that perfect community of a triune God who existed forever in eternity past. Before ever He spoke a word into being of anything else, there was God. And He was happy. He didn't have to create to fill a void in Him at all. He created out of the overflow. To to flow out over and show His glory. That's why He created to show Himself glorious. I think that Paul is quoting from Job 41 here. Who has first given to me that I should repay Him? Whatever, whatever is under heaven, the whole heaven is mine, God says. What are you going to give to the guy who has everything? That's like times a million with God. So what are you going to give God that He doesn't already have? And uh, you know, what are you going to give Him that's not already His? When we tithe, we are giving a portion of what God has given to us. It's not ours though, is it? Nothing I own is ultimately mine. It, I am given by God to steward what is His. For all things come from you. First Chronicles 29.14b And from your hand we have given to you. What an amazing thing! That's like a child running into the kitchen and getting... Uh, let's see, what would he get in the kitchen? Getting the milk from the fridge that that Jenny just brought home from the store, the child runs to the fridge and says, Mommy, I got this for you. Right? It's, it's already hers. It's already God's. Nothing you can give Him is not His. Hmm. The majesty of sovereign grace is on display in this as well. You're going to give in such a way that God owes? No. When he saves, he saves not because he owes us anything. In fact, let's be clear the only thing God owes us is wrath and eternal hellfire for our rebellion and breach of his justice and holiness and righteousness. That God does not give us what we do deserve, but chooses to lavish upon us what we don't deserve, that is sovereign grace. And it comes through the sacrifice of Christ. Whose idea was that? That was God's idea. His glory. Most set on display. Lastly, look at this verse. This is like the crescendo. The cymbal on the drums rings out for the closing of the the song. God is ultimate and infinitely worthy. Listen to how the build goes at the very conclusion of this poetry. For from him, God, and through him, God, and to him, God are all things. Are all things from him, through him, to him. All things. Hmm. That's fairly comprehensive, isn't it? Does does that leave anything out? Anything missing there? What ownership can we claim? Here. What, what, what right can we claim over God? Anything at all. Nothing at all. He is the Creator of all things. From Him. Through Him, He is the Sustainer of all things. Colossians 2, run to that passage. Oh, glory in the work of our Savior, the Sovereign Creator who sustains the universe by the Word of His power. If he were to say, Be done, everything goes. The fact that you're in your chair and not floating around the room right now, kids, is because Jesus sustains, upholds the universe and the gravity that keeps you right there. That is his power. From him, through him, and to him, he is the goal, he is ultimate. He is the goal. The whole of creation moves to Him as the Creator. There is a, a, just a devastating trend in church over the last many years. It is what I would call man-centered thinking. Man-centered theology. Man-centered singing. And I just have to break it to you today. You are not the center of the universe. It's not about you. It's about God. And I just also have to say, God is not man-centered either. God is not man-centered. Do a search in the scriptures that's, that that highlights the words "for the sake of my name," "for the sake of my name." I save you. Whoa. God is God-centered. Everything he does is to highlight the glory that is his and to show it forth. It's the best news ever. What kind of God would he be if he was man-centered? Huh. He's the goal of all things. A number of years ago now, the Hubble telescope was left on overnight and there was a dark spot in the sky that, that collected lots of light over the, over the evening and they came back the next day and, and they said, what is that? And they discovered that what they thought was just a dark spot in the sky turns out to be the collection of light from a massive amount of universe that we previously had no idea was that deep. I want you to consider this. Look, look close here. These are not just stars, okay? This is what we've got to do. These are galaxies. Galaxies, friends. Like, we are in a solar system in the Milky Way. That's just an average size galaxy. These are galaxies. Okay? Galaxy, 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 galaxy. All these little horizontal lines. Galaxy, 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 galaxy. Look at these. Galaxy crashing in the galaxy. Here's one over here. Boom, 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 boom. Guess what? As of 2021, the estimate now has climbed. They believe that there is at least 200 brace yourself, 200 million galaxies in our universe. But that's a conservative estimate. I read one guy just yesterday that said it might even go above two trillion. Okay? Why? These are like Gazillions of light years away from us. We will never even see most of this, let alone even come in contact at all with any of it in this life. Why is it so big? Because the heavens don't proclaim our worth, they proclaim God. That's how big He is, friends. That's how big He is. Do you think heaven's gonna be boring? good night, if this is under the curse, all of this is experienced the fall, just imagine the new heavens and the new earth and what it will be like to behold the glory of God with no sin impeding our view. Lift up your eyes, Isaiah forty twenty six. God speaks this call to us today. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Why did He make Him? So He could do this for us. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the, greatest, the greatness of His might, and because He is strong in power, not one is missing. Not one is out of place. They're all where they're supposed to be. He has them all named. He has them all numbered. He knows every star of every galaxy. Two trillion worth. And He knows you this morning. Right where you are. He knows everything about you. He knows you better than you know you. And He loves. Oh, He loves. Hmm. To Him be glory forever. That is the conclusion of Romans 11. To Him be glory forever. Let it be. So be it. Amen. Our response this morning. The first thing I want to do is sing that's what i that's i mean that's right that's what we're going to do in fact we're going to sing two songs to close today because it's it's there it's calling us but i just want to before we sing i just want to point us to this we must be a people who regularly come to this response of audible awe oh the depth god you are glorious i see your glory and i don't understand all of your beauty and glory even in these doctrines but I worship You. I bow before You in humility. I delight in You and I declare Your praise. The glory of God is most set on display in the wonder of redemption. So if you're here today and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, I want to call you. Don't let another day go by. God has expressed His love for sinners who deserve only hell and wrath and He has expressed His love through His only Son, Jesus Christ, who gave His life to die on the cross, to be buried and after three days raised so that people like you and me can be forgiven of sin and live and get God forever. Make Him your Lord and Savior today. Embrace Him with everything that you are. Turn from your sin and you will begin to sing like you have never imagined. Let's pray. Oh God, I thank you for your glory, for the beauty you have set on display in these verses. We honor you. We worship you. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy, Lord, of our praise. We want to sing now, Father. It's, it's right for us. We have, we have tasted of Your glory. We have, we have discovered You throughout the journey of this Roman series. And so we want to rightly respond in delight and declaration. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.